Well, hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of In With The Old. We're a video podcast focused on dispelling myth, building truth, and building a deeper appreciation for God's word. I'm one of your co-hosts, Dr. Brian Koning, and I'm joined today by Dr. Tim Howe. Dr. Tim, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent, Brian. And uh, man, we started off series two last week, and uh, now we get to talk about the God of the Old Testament. So uh, this is awesome. I'm excited to get going. Yeah, the angry God of the Old Testament. So this series, <laughs> series two, is focused on myths and mistakes. So the title of each of our episodes will kind of be the myth we're focused in on. And so as you saw today, we're dealing with the God of the Old Testament being char- characterized as someone who is violent or angry. Uh, in preparation, we had to peel back the curtain a little bit. Dr. Tim and I had kind of talked through some of the myths we wanted to deal with, and we had selected this one. And shortly after that, I watched the movie John Wick. Tim, I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's Keanu Reeves. It's kind of violent, so you have to be okay with that. But um, <laughs> Keanu Reeves is a hitman called John Wick. He is described by a character in it as a real Old Testament type guy. And I was like, that's so funny because that expression, what they mean by that, right, is violent, is angry, and most especially the God of the Old Testament. Boy, he seems to have like a smite button on his divine keyboard because he's just killing people left and right. Mm. Now, we think that's a myth. And so that's kind of what we want to unpack today. Um, Tim, maybe help walk us into this idea a little bit. What are some of the go-to stories or ideas that people would point to when they say, look, the God of the Old Testament is an angry, violent God? Where would they go? Yeah, good question, Brian. Uh, You know, oftentimes people will cite texts, say, in the book of Joshua, uh, where the Israelites go in and and, uh, the word genocide is thrown out, right? The, The Israelites go in and they wipe out people groups or, you know, verses that say things like destroy every living thing that breathes, uh, or, or even just the idea that at times whenever, uh, the people of Israel rebel that, you know, the earth swallows them up or, or God sends a plague or sends snakes among them, or, you know, there's really lots of instances. And, and, and Brian, I, I, I want to post something to you and I want to see if you would agree with this. I think this myth might be not just even one among many. I'm a, I think this might be the most important myth uh, to bust in, in terms of loving the Old Testament. Uh, because to me, many Christians, we look to the Old Testament and, and we can maybe find encouragement in places, but for some of us, it, it's so fundamental that it becomes, can I worship the God that the Old Testament describes? And can I identify the God of the Old Testament with the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that we see in the New Testament? Uh, do, do you agree that the stakes are that high with this? 100%. Because I think, and I'll go even further, I think this is an important myth to bust, not just to help us appreciate the Old Testament. Mm. It's going to be necessary for us to appreciate the New Testament. Unless we're willing to be believers that all suffer from cognitive dissonance, Mm -hmm. where we go, Jesus, please save us from you, question mark, in the Old Testament, or God the Father, or however we conceive of how the Trinity works in the Old Testament. Spoiler alert for next week. Um, (laughs) But however we conceive of that, There's some connection between the Old and New Testament, and if we think the God of one is almost despicable, this angry, horrible person, and we're trying to hold on to the cute and cuddly Jesus of the New Testament, 
I think we are mentally doing ourselves a disservice. We're starting to fracture our appreciation of God's word, our fracture and divide our understanding of ourselves, of who he is. And that's going to lead to some very negative outcomes spiritually and uh, emotionally for us as well. So there's a reason I think we both said this is where we're leading off. We want to deal with the angry God of the Old Testament. Now, how do we begin dealing with that? Well, first, I want to pose a question to our listeners, and it's going to be rhetorical. I'll answer it, but feel free to pause the video and think about this for a second. There is this idea that the God of the Old Testament is angry in our culture, but what did the Israelites think of their God? Mm. You know, the people that would see him performing these works, sometimes on them. What was their description of God? Do you know what the answer is? If you go to Exodus 34, 6, I want to read it for us because it's such an amazing point. Um, and this is right where we're dealing with the Sinai, the revelation. This is God's kind of coming out party, as it were, to Israel as a nation. Mm -hmm. And here's what he said. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, Yahweh, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness. Mm. Let me read that description again. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Listeners, that is going to be Israel's go-to description of their God time and time again. I can point you to numerous instances in the Psalms. I can point you to Jonah. Mm -hmm. Remember the story of Jonah? Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh and didn't want to proclaim judgment on them. Remember why? Because he says in Jonah 4, look, I know you're a God who forgives, and I didn't want that. I wanted you to be, <laughs> it's kind of ironic, Tim, right? Yeah. I wanted you to be the God that apparently we all think you are, that you're angry and will kill people. I wanted you to do that, but I knew you were a God who forgives. Yeah, It's fascinating. That is Israel's go-to description of their God. He is slow to anger. He is gracious. He is abounding in loving kindness. And I think that's so important that we kind of latch onto that as our starting point on why this is a myth, that God is not this angry God in the Old Testament. Yeah. And, and Brian, I'm so glad that you brought us to Exodus 34, because it, when, I, when I think about this text, um, it's so important because in other texts, we have Israel's description of God as they see him or, at, you know, kind of from their point of view you know, God is God most high, or, or there's other names and titles. But what's so interesting to me about this text is this is God's self-description. Like, this is God saying to Moses, this is who I am. This is my character. This is God in one sense saying, you have your perspectives on me. And of course, we believe in the Bible, those are inspired. But this is God's self-declaration that he tells us who he is, that he's compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, rich in love. And, and I love also, Brian, that you brought up Jonah, because what's so interesting is, you know, some people fall into this mindset that, well, okay, God might be gracious to the Israelites in the Old Testament because he's their God. But to the nations, it's kind of like, well, you know, smite button, smite button, smite button. Whereas what Jonah recognized was that the character of God was not just that toward his people, but was that towards all people. And so I, both of those texts to me are incredibly helpful because we see this is the character of God as he shows himself. And, and it's also something that he is desirous to show to all people. And uh, Brian, uh, you know, 
when it comes to that slow to anger, of course, that's that's a Hebrew idiom, right? You know, mm-hmm. it's the idea of being long of nose. I love uh, that idiom. That, Such a I, fun I idiom. do too. It's so fun, isn't it? Uh, the the idea that God's anger, you know, when we get angry, the the tip of our nose begins to burn, and and so that for our listeners, it's the idea that it takes a long time for God to become so angry that he acts upon it. It, it takes a long time, like the long suffering, that's kind of an old word, but it's the idea that God suffers for a long time before he acts. But of course, slow to anger does not mean he's never angry. So uh, Brian, why, why don't you maybe pick up on that? You know, you, you mentioned about mm-hmm. understanding the New Testament. How is anger at times maybe uh, an appropriate response? Or how do we see that even in the life of Jesus? Well, and just before I go there, Tim, to to go off that, part of this slow to anger, as you said, mm-hmm. is very important that God is capable of anger because anger is the right response when it comes to injustice yeah. and when it comes to sin. But he's slow to anger. And this is important if we understand the context of the worldview. Remember last week, listeners, we said one of the issues and one of the reasons why the Old Testament attracts odd ideas is we put modern expectations. If you go yes. to the ancient world of Israel— and look at how people worship their gods, the pantheons of the Egyptians, of the Mesopotamians, you're going to find their gods have hair triggers. They are gods that have to be cajoled constantly, appeased constantly, because the slightest thing will set them off, including my favorite um, from the Enuma Elish, the flood comes because people are making too much noise, right? And the gods are annoyed. They're like, they just won't shut up. We're going to kill them all. When we talk about God being slow to anger, we often come to the Old Testament, we look at the conquest narrative, we look at like the sin of Achan, and we go, boy, that seems unjust and unfair. But A, we don't understand the covenant and the context of the story, and B, we're we're putting kind of modern expectations that God is going to be this kind of benign and very subdued figure at all times. None of those are going to be operative in the mindset of the original readers, which leads us to the flip side of this myth, as it were, as Tim led in. When we say that the God of the Old Testament is angry and the God of the New Testament is sweet and loving, that's wrong on both sides of the equation. Jesus yeah. is a more emotional yeah. man, uh, including anger, than we often give him credit for. I often joke mm-hmm. with students if they try to pull out the what would Jesus do? I go, you realize that like flipping tables and whipping people is canonically within the WWJD here. See, because Jesus had anger. He had anger at religious leaders when he saw their lack of compassion. He had anger when he saw injustice. He had anger when he saw lack of belief. If we take the word of God literally and look at the book of Revelation, God is a God who does have anger and does eventually settle accounts. He punishes sin drastically. And so we need to, I think, kind of pull that in, don't we, Tim? That we can't just go, God is this cosmic vending machine that I can kind of just cuddle up to him and press all the right buttons to get what I want. God is love. God is, right, Abba, Father. There is this closeness of relationship, but that doesn't neuter him from anger, from wrath, from being a fully fleshed and orbed figure, does it? No, not at all. And and I love I love what you said, Dr. Brian, because uh, when when we think of anger, um, we we know what the Bible says, and the Bible warns especially humans about anger. For instance, James says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Many texts in the Proverbs warn against uh, a false or an unrighteous anger. 
But when we think about anger, there are times when anger is the absolute right response. In fact, to even say it further, uh, when we think about atrocities, when, when we think about injustice, if the response isn't a righteous indignation, that would actually expose something about us or about the person who isn't angry uh, that we would we could say is is wrong or broken. Uh, like when you see an injustice happening, the right response should be anger. And so I, I think though the rub becomes okay. Well, why does God get angry in certain circumstances and not others? Or why does God seem to allow for certain things that seem very gruesome to us, as as you mentioned, Brian, based on our modern worldview, as opposed to others? And and so it, it's at times the question of, okay, sometimes God doesn't act when it seems like, from our perspective, he should. At other times, he does act when, from our perspective, it seems like, well, why was that a big deal? At which point, I think that's where we have to work hard to understand uh, if we believe that God is just, and we believe that there is such thing as a holy anger, maybe the problem is on our end in not understanding why God's anger is happening in a certain situation. Brian, would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think this comes down to a concept that I, because I, I, I've wrestled a lot with God, justice, anger. Why does, Tim, you brought up the point really well. Why does he sometimes act and sometimes not act? Why is he sometimes right. angry at this sin, but not angry or at least not responding the same way? Um, mm-hmm. And listeners, if you're following along going like, yeah, I still, I have that issue as well. Um, right. We can go point by point and probably bring up some things, but one of the ideas that has really helped settle my mind is something I call theological skepticism. And that's not, listeners, let me be very clear, that's not skepticism that God exists. That's not the type of skepticism I mean. But it's the idea that when it comes to knowing the mind of God, I am skeptical of my ability to parse that fully, which is, I think, quite important. I think we sometimes go, hey, we have God's word, and if I study it fully, I'll be able to fully know God. And I think we need to stop and say, no, at the end of the day, I am the created. He is the creator. He is the infinite. I am the finite. There are always going to be elements of God's character, his actions that transcend my, not just understanding, but my ability to understand. My lack of comprehension does not mean that those reasons do not exist, that there's not a good reason why he did this or did not do this. Um, And I, I do say this from the position of someone that has really wrestled with loss, with suffering, with where is God in the middle of that. I I think sometimes we come to this issue and go, I want to be God. I want to be able to fully understand his uh, reasons, or I want to sit in judgment on why did he act this way here and not act that way there. Um, and, And I think probably the seeing the angry God, of the old Testament comes out of that a little bit. We want to sit in moral judgment of God. And I think we need to take a step back and go, no, I need to work through with fear and trembling, my faith and my understanding of who God is and how he acts or doesn't act in any given situation. What do you think about that, Tim? Absolutely. You know, uh, that as, as we read and as we engage personally with God, uh, we have to assume that position of humility and uh, and that's difficult, right? Because uh, we want to know, and and Brian, I know you agree with this, right? That we want to know everything we can know, but also we have to come to the point of recognizing there are things that are truly the hidden things. You know, we see darkly, 
and uh, one day we'll see face to face. But, you know, Brian, one thing that, that for me, I, I think also trips people up, and this may be why the myth is so deeply embedded, is, is because we look at the scriptures and we see God act and, and we see, you know, uh, massive numbers of people who die in any given instance, or, or we see, you know, God saying to his people, go and, and wipe these people out. And, uh, and I think one of the problems that we have is that we fail to read God's reaction towards sin progressively. And, and here's what I mean by that. I don't mean that, that God's attitude towards sin changes over time, but even as we read the developing story, um, there's, there's Adam and Eve who fail miserably, and even though the word sin isn't used explicitly, right? I mean, that was where death entered the world in, in Genesis chapter 3. Well, immediately in Genesis chapter 4, it, it's amazing because even as we read the story of Cain and Abel, right, Cain is about to kill Abel, and there's literally murderous thoughts, and God knows this, but rather than God, you know, killing him on the spot, what does he do? He warns him, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, and you have this almost like fatherly kind of warning, like, don't do it. Don't, don't let sin master you. It's crouching at the door, desiring to master you. And so God's immediate response isn't, you know, lightning da- zap smite button. It's, I want to warn these children that I've made because they don't fully understand the consequence of what sin will bring. And yet, of course, Cain ignores the warning. Uh, but then fast forward, okay, to Genesis 6, and it says that, you know, violence fills the earth. And it's so interesting because the language there, and it's it's really moving, is that God saw the, the sin. He saw the wickedness, and it grieved him in his heart. Um, that, that even as we think of God's attitude towards sin, we understand that, hey, God tried to warn us, and God was grieved because of all of the havoc and destruction you know, and, and so as we come to God's eventual responses to sin later in Scripture, we have to understand uh, how, again, not that his heart fundamentally changed, but how he is showing us his attitude towards sin is, first, I'm going to warn you. And second, my heart is going to be grieved. And third, we see this also later in Genesis when he says to Abraham, right, that I'm going to give them time to repent, even though I know they don't. And that's one of those secret things, right, Brian, where only God knows when a heart is so hardened that, that it's, it's past a point of no return. And to us, we may look at a heart and say, there's no coming back from that. But God may look at that and say, watch me move and watch me work. But I, I think we have to understand the fullness of even how Scripture portrays God's attitude towards sin. And, uh, and if I could throw just an illustration out here, I, I think God hates sin uh, in the same way that a parent hates cancer. Um, it, it's something that destroys things that he loves and, and, and people that he's created. And, and yes, it's, an, it's a personal affront against God as well, but it's, it's an affront against God's character as well as something that destroys the things that he cares deeply about. And so to me, I, I think placing the anger of God in the context of his character, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger and rich in love, someone who grieves over sin, someone who warns us constantly about our sin, I think that helps us to understand when we get to the point of those judgments, it's not as though those judgments uh, were without warning. It's not as though they were without God seeking to intervene. And yet, of course, because we're sinful, our hearts at times are hardened and we continue down the path of destruction. I think that's a really great point, Tim, that 
part of our answer to dispelling the myth of God being an angry God, the Old Testament, is to see the progressive revelation of Scripture, to appreciate the fact that the middle of Genesis 3, when they eat from the apple, is not followed by Revelation uh, right, 18, 19, 20, <laughs> and Armageddon, yeah. and the end of the world. God doesn't just strike them yeah. dead, but says, we're going to work through this. I'm grieved. I'm angry at sin. I, I, I like the... I like the kind of mental image of cancer because as a parent, if I had that happen to one of my kids, I would be furious at the disease. It would be abominable. It's destroying yeah. something that I've created and something that I love with my whole heart. We need to appreciate right. that God is going to work with people and God does work with people and God enters into the pain caused by sin. I think that's part of the beauty right. as we make this hinge and why Jesus is still angry because he's like, now I am here to actually take the penalty, to take the consequence of sin, to die in your stead. And yet you still do not believe. Um, right. I, I really love it. We don't have time to unpack all of it, right? But John chapter three, where we have this back and forth with a rabbi. And Jesus is trying to get him to appreciate it. And one of the key things Jesus does right before he says, for God so loved the world, is he links his mission here on earth with the bronze serpent from Moses. He's like, just as I was there and had to punish my people for sin, now I've come to be the one to accept the punishment. The mercy of God, not waiting for us to save ourselves, but joining into the pain and accepting the sin and death for us is a big response to that. And I think helps us put God's anger in context. So excellent points, Tim, any final thoughts as we close out this episode? Yeah, I, I think for me, it, you know, as, as we think about the fullness of scripture's revelation, um, there is, there is so much evidence of the grace of God that it, that as we look, especially to the cross, but also in the old Testament, it, but to the cross in particular, that we see the grace and mercy of God on display. There's, there's so much evidence of that, that that we can't deny it and wouldn't deny it. It's so compelling in the best way. Uh, and yet there's, there's enough of the, the severity of God. And we see this, by the way, when, when we read the book of Hebrews, for instance, you know, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The New Testament doesn't erase that. It doesn't take it away. Uh, but we see both, and, and that does two things. First, it, it leaves an element of faith, right? Where we have to be willing to say, as you said, Brian, there are things we don't know, but based on the things that we do know and do see, we have every reason to trust and put the fullness of our trust in you as a loving Father. Uh, while also, and the second thing it does is reminds us that what God said in Genesis 3 is true, and what Paul says in Romans 6 is true, that eating it, you will surely die, and that the wages of sin really is death, at which point part of the exclamation point of the Old Testament is we are deserving of death. And, and ultimately, and, and Brian, you've said this before, the greatest form of death is not physical death, it's spiritual death, it's spiritual separation. And yet we do look to Christ as the ultimate evidence of someone who was angry because People refuse to see and understand the heart of the Father to rescue those who are headed toward a peril of their own making. And so God's wrath and anger is true. And at times, I, I'm sure you would say this too, Brian, at times there are texts that I read and I think, man, I, I just don't get it, or it's hard uh, to sort of digest. Uh, and yet we have to look at what we see and we have to look at it in its totality 
with the goodness and the grace that we find. And that's where I, I know we would say we see that grace evident in the Old Testament. And I love, again, going back to that example uh, that you tell of Jonah. Jonah was hoping that God would be more like the myth that people have of him today. But here's what he said. Uh, Should I not have compassion on these people who don't know their right hand from their left? And aren't we thankful that God is a compassionate and gracious God? Excellent points, Tim. I think this gives us the powerful reminder, friends, as we look to the God of the Bible, this is a living God. If your view, if my view of God never contradicts uh, how I think things should be run, it's probably a good piece of evidence that I've created God in my own image, and I'm not actually worshiping God as he is. And so uh, our encouragement would be to keep wrestling with these texts, to keep seeking after the living God, and to find those mercies, and dispel the myth that God is an angry God in the Old Testament. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Thank you, Dr. Tim, for all of your input. We're really excited. Next week, we have an interesting myth. When we talk about Yahweh in the Old Testament— Is that God the Father in the Trinity? Or who are we talking about there? That's going to be next week. And until then, friends, stay cool and stay open.